Hey everybody, welcome back to the Nothing Load Podcast. As always, we're back with another amazing episode. I know you guys are going to dig this one. Um, we talked to Eric Nixick, who, if you follow any kind of fighting, I'm sure you've heard his name. So we're going to be very excited to get into the show. Uh, we had a, a great conversation with him. It was short because he was actually in quarantine uh, pre- prior to a fight. So he was generous enough to give us a little bit of time that he had. Uh, so awesome dude, awesome conversation. I know you guys are going to dig this one. But before we get into the show, I want to talk about our sponsors. As always, Season 2 is sponsored by Modus Nation. So please check out ModusNation.com. They have awesome clothing. They're always coming out with new designs. And like I say, and I say it every time, but Ben and Lindsay do an amazing, amazing job giving back to the community, giving back to the veteran community. They're always looking for ways to help. They're always looking for new charities to contribute to. So they're really they're really out there, really trying to, to do a lot of good. So they're not just selling t-shirts. They're not just selling clothing. They're actually uh, serving a, a higher purpose, which is what we preach on the show. So please, ModusNation.com. And also, too, don't forget we have our promo code, Nothing Owed, which will get you a special discount on the website. So please use that code at ModusNation.com. And also, too, I'd like to mention some of our other uh, guests we've had on the show because they have helped us out from time to time. So I uh, talked to um, Mark Miller a few months back, but please uh, check out Mark and WinfieldWatch.com. They uh, make awesome stuff. Uh, he has a new watch that just came out. It's a field watch. So please check it out on his website. I know you guys are going to dig it if you're into watches. Even if you're not, I think uh, you're really going to like it. So please uh, check out Winfield Watch. Aaron Meza, Grind Ups Coffee, another awesome dude. Please uh, please check him out. Please support him. He's roasting some really awesome coffee. He's also another one donating to charity with uh, his canine uh, charity that he supports. So please check out uh, grindupscoffee.com. Please check out the charity section where he goes into detail about the charities that he promotes and supports. But uh, Aaron is an awesome dude, serving on the front lines, definitely deserves your support, and you get a great cup of coffee in return. And then we also have uh, Cranky Veteran Candle. Please check them out. They uh, do an amazing work with uh, with their candles. It's actually uh, serving a higher purpose, getting them back to work, helping uh, the founders there work through some uh, some PTSD issues. So it's, it's a really good cause to support them. And not only that, they're making great products. They're actually making candles that are, are natural. They're actually uh, much healthier to burn in your house than your, the average candle you buy at a, at a big box store. So if you're looking for candles, please help, help out a good couple. And also get yourself a candy that candle, excuse me, that doesn't uh, release toxins into the air in your home. And then lastly, uh, forest flags. Please check out forest flags if you need any uh, wooden flags. Uh, he can customize them for you. He's doing awesome work. Uh, does great with American flags. And I know he does. Uh, he has some other designs coming out. But uh, please check out forest flags. He's he's doing an awesome job with that. So uh, with that being said, I think it's time to get into the show. So I will stop talking and turn the show over to me. All right. Thanks, guys. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Nothing Owed Podcast. As always, you're back with Ben and Brian. And as always, we are bringing another awesome guest to you. Uh, we have Eric Nixick from Extreme Couture MMA Gym in Las Vegas. I'm sure most of you probably know what that gym is. So this is an awesome guest for us. Um, Eric has some great stories. Um, his personal story is awesome too. So I don't want to waste his time because I want to get into it. So I want to say hi to Ben real quick and then we'll, uh, we'll talk to Eric. So Ben, hi Ben, what's new? What's shaking? Uh, very excited about this week. Eric and I met a few months ago, kind of developed a relationship, done some work. I, I've gone to their gym through the MVP program, worked out there. Um, you know, Randy uh, and the whole staff there kind of support that MVP program that we had uh, our guest Bruno um, runs there. 
but I'm excited. I want to hear some of the backstory. So I'm not going to waste any time. We, we're, we're taking up his time. This is fight weekend. And <laughs> he was gracious enough to jump on with us uh, while he's in quarantine, getting ready for uh, the, the UFC fights this weekend. So we are very pumped to talk to him. So let's let's just get into it. Yeah. So, Eric, let's let's hear a little bit about you, kind of your uh, backstory real quick, and then uh, kind of we'll get into it. So, Eric, how you doing? What's new? Nah, yeah, man, everything's great. Uh, you know, just uh, born and raised here. I'm a, I'm a local, big-time local, my mom as well. So, uh, Vegas ties all my life, seen, seen a lot of changes in the city. And, yeah, but- you know, big time, man. Went to Green Valley High School, um, went up to school up in Reno, transferred out to, uh, out to Dixie before they were Dixie state it was a junior college. Okay. And then, um, you know, played ball out there and came home, started to pursue a career in the fire service. And then, um, at the same time I was training over with Randy over to Shinkator, I ended up being, um, member number one over there. So a number one in the database is really number ever. Yeah, man. <laughs> That's pretty cool. What year was that? Uh, so I started training there in 2006, uh, okay. the gym opened February or March, I believe it was of 2007. So Randy was getting ready for uh, Tim Sylvia for that, for the heavyweight title fight. And, um, you know, I had heard he had, he was opening a gym, um, just wanted to train. I was like, oh, you know, I, and we, we, bro, like there was no advertising. Like we didn't know that where the hell it was. And, and a friend of mine kind of caught wind. It was like off of Valley View and Sunset. And this is before the, even the roads went through. Right, right. You had to go like Decatur to Russell to Valley View to Sunset, like all these like back roads. <laughs> it was so weird. And sure as shit, I mean, there wasn't even signage. And we, we stumbled across the, the gym. And, um, you know, Randy was in there. A bunch of the guys were in there training. They only had a, a big cage. And I think they had the floor mats down. But there wasn't – there wasn't it wasn't anything. It was a raw and, gym. Uh, raw gym, man. And uh, come walking in and, you know, didn't know anybody other than Randy. And there was, like, you know, Mike Pyle and Jay Heron and all these legends that were in there getting ready to f- for their fights. And they're like, hey, what, you know you guys were not open yet, but if you guys want to come in and start trying to train or, you know, be a part of the team or whatever. And I wasn't trying to be a fighter. I just wanted to get some work. And, you know, I, I, I like the sport, but I like, I like like-minded individuals more than anything, you know? Um, so right away, I kind of understood that, you know, this, this was, this was a team and, and, and there's full of camaraderie. And that's what I, I felt like I lacked the most and I missed the most about football. And I, I found that right away when I, when I stepped foot in a shrink tour and, uh, you know, when the gym opened, I ended up being the first member to ever, you know, be in a shrink tour. And I was the, I was coaching a year later. Um, Randy gave me a coaching position. I was coaching one class a week. And then, um, you know, kind of just parlay that into, uh, you know, running a kids program. And then, you know, I was coaching fighters at the same time. And then uh, it was, it's eight years now I've been the gym manager. So I've been the gym manager of shrink tour for eight years. And um, one of the head coaches there for the fight team. Wow. That's awesome. Uh-huh. So, so you, I mean, it took about a year and then you, I mean, then you started, Randy was like, Hey man, you're good enough. Come coach. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. It was, it was crazy because like, I never left that gym. To be honest with you, Ben, like I was in the gym daily myself, Dennis Davis, like, um, you know, a couple other handful of guys. And I, I was just a sponge. I could not get out of that gym. Like I love training. My body was beat to shit every day, but I could not get enough of like learning what these guys are showing me. And then, you know, come to find out, like a lot of the times, like I was just a body getting the shit kicked out of me. Looking back, I understood, you know, like, oh, that's why they wanted me back all the time because <laughs> you were the sparring a, dummy. I was a tough kid. You know, I was just yeah. a tough kid. 
And then it's funny because like we'll, we'll 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 you know we'll tell guys like if they're you know they come into the gym and they're green or they're new, we'll always say like green light, like light them up, beat the shit out of them. If they come back, then you know you got something. Well, little did I know at the time, you know, I was the one getting my ass greenlit. <laughs> um, you know, I wasn't sparring a whole lot or really at all with like the pros. I was doing more like grappling and everything else. But right, even right. there, these guys were beating the shit out of me when it was coming to ground and pound and, you know, just learning the game and cutting my teeth. But um, yeah, it was, it was about a year. It was about within a year. Um, Randy's like, Hey, can you help cover some of these classes uh, on Fridays? It was like, like basically like I could do that afternoon. And man, that was, that was my class. Like I, I loved it. I cherished it. I, you know, I, I made it mine and it was, it was the best thing I ever had. And, you know, and then I had the, the most, um, the, the most attendance out of all the classes in the entire gym was my Friday, my Friday class at 11. I'd average like 16 to, to 25 people every Friday. So, you know, I just felt like I was like, Oh, I, I can do this. I can coach, you know, and this is what I yeah. want to do. And I want to, I want to be involved in this more. And, it wasn't soon after when, um, you know, Randy said, Hey, what do, what do you think about running this gym? I think you, you're a good people person. I think that just some of your qualities, um, and the way you handle yourself with, amongst people, uh, would really help what we need here for our demographic. And I just said, yeah, man, I'm, I'm all in. So, you know, I never looked back. It's been there since, uh, 2007 now. Jeez, That's dude. awesome. Had yeah. you done any, any training before you, um, any other training before you started at the gym? Yeah, I, I trained uh, a little bit when I was playing football. So, um, you know, when you have an athletic scholarship, they won't, you're not allowed to do certain things. So, like, when you're on scholarship, if you're doing – like, jiu-jitsu wasn't anything at the time. Like, right. you only knew it from the ultimate fighting. Right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It was very uh, – Tank Abbott. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, if I was like, oh, I'm doing jiu-jitsu, my, you know, my football coach would be like, what is that, yoga? Like, he wouldn't even know back then. But, um, you know, had I gotten injured – pretty bad. I could have, I could have ultimately lost my scholarship. So my dad was, my dad was pretty adamant about like, Hey, when, when you're in town, like, I don't mind you maybe going down, but don't, don't be rolling hard or don't be doing, you know, anything stupid. So, uh, I would, I was a kid, I was going over to John Lewis's gym. He had a JSEC gym was off of Valley view. Um, and that was like really like the only jujitsu gym that I can remember back then. And it was, it was old school, man. It was like Chuck Liddell, BJ Penn, um, Randy was in there, but I mean, I, they, they were just, you know, I wasn't training with them. I was going to like classes. And then, um, you know, when I got back from school, I had another buddy that uh, owned a gym. He was a uh, Machado brown belt, maybe black belt at the time. And I just go to train over there with him. Um, and then, you know, fuck Randy. I saw Randy was opening his spot. So I was like, dude, I, I, I'm going to try to go over there and, you know, never really look back. So it wasn't like any like formal, formal training. It was just knowing enough about like, Oh, I know how to shrimp or I know how to you know, dig an underhook or do the, the, like the basics. And then when, when it was like, that's Randy's gym. It was like, Oh, this is, this is, this is not chess any, or checkers. This is chess. Like these dudes are the baddest dudes on the planet for a reason. So how I got to ask, I, I mean, he seems like the, I've run into him in the grocery store, but I didn't talk to him, but he seems like the nicest dude when he's not in the ring. Is he Randy? Yeah. Randy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you bro. Unbelievable. Unbelievable, man. Like he's one of the nicest guys you're ever going to meet, but here's the thing that like that that sets him apart for me for a lot of people that when when you're when you're in when you're already in with randy and he's your boy but when you watch him the way he treats other people right outside of his inner circle to me really shows the type of person he really is and what i mean by that it's like man like just like you for an example like you run into him at the grocery store it's like hi mr couture i'm ben it's nice to meet you and randy's not gonna like kind of like oh hey what's up and walk away 
hey, Ben, it's nice to meet you too. What do you do? How are you? Blah, 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 blah. And it's funny because, you know, knowing Randy for as long as I have, um, you know, me being born and raised in Vegas, I have a lot of family and friends that are in the city that they've ran into Randy numerous times. And every one of them said to me, hey, I ran into Randy. I said, I'm your friend or I know Eric and and how gracious and how nice he was. And, and, and spent time speaking to you, you know, or, or like checking in on you or how's your day going? And, you know, he's just, he's just a very humble dude. And I feel like his fame and who he is has never really gotten to him. I think he appreciates it every day. And he's just one of the most quality individuals you're ever going to meet. Yeah. That's what I was, I, I didn't walk up to him cause I, I get all, I don't like to bug people that are, we'll, we'll call them famous. Right. But the, but some people have walked up to him and he was, I mean, he's, he's getting like uh, avocados, right. And the, you know, he's taking <laughs> pictures of people in the grocery store and didn't have a scowl on his face. Didn't seem like yeah. he was bothered. It was just like, you know, he, he's got an avocado in the left hand and he's throwing up a fist with the right hand, getting a picture <laughs> just seemed like a nice dude, you know, but, yeah. but he's, he's a complete savage. If you go back and watch some of those videos, you know, some of the fights. Oh, like, bro. It's crazy. Like how good he is. Savage. It's crazy how good he is. And, you know, the, the only time I ever remember Randy, you know, when, he, when he's, he's not going to sign a, a autograph or take a picture is when we're at dinner. If we're at oh. dinner together, that's the one time. Like, and he's done it. I've seen him do it, you know, number of times where somebody come up, hey, Mr. Couture. And he's like, hey, thank you. I'm having dinner with my family right now. If you like a picture when I'm done with dinner or I'm done with my family, then I'll be happy to take that picture. That's the only time. And it's not even rude. It's like he handles it with so, so much grace and care. Um, but like, dude, the, the one time I realized how fucking good Randy actually was, was he beats Gabe Gonzaga, defends his title against right. Gabe Gonzaga. Right. Gabe Gonzaga comes and trains with us after. And I remember Gabe Gonzaga just murdering me, mopping my fucking ass up and down the map. <laughs> And I'm like, holy shit, this guy's killing me. And then, like, as I'm getting killed, I just had this, like, epiphany, like, oh, my God, Randy killed this guy. Like, how good is Randy? You know, like, I, I always knew Randy was good, you know, but yeah, I, yeah. I had really, like, had been – I never had been a training partner for Randy until later on in, in my career. So I was always just in the room. But Randy uh, – I got to start working with Randy. I think it was a Mark Coleman fight, Brandon Vera, and, like, James Tony. Like, he'd have me come into the camps, and goddamn, dude, he would beat the crap out of you. Yeah, he just looks like he's just a just all like steel, like just a mean dude. His hands look like freaking mitts, you know, like he's just <laughs> a dude, you know, like he'd rip you, like take your arm off and beat you with your own arm kind of guy. <laughs> and then help you up with it when he's yeah, done beating you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, here, let me help you put that thing back on. Yeah, he's yeah, he's, yeah it's, it's so crazy just how tough and strong and he's the ultimate competitor. Yeah. And what I mean by that is like, you know, Coach Follis, one of one of our you know our, our lineage guys from Team Quest, he'd always say like, "There's there's three attributes in, in in everybody that fights in MMA. There's the fighter, the competitor, and the athlete. Everybody has three of those attributes, but some of those dials are are, are gauged a little bit differently. You know, because you might have the guy that was born in a, in a tumultuous you know upbringing and hates his mom, and his fighter level is a ten, but his competitor level might be a two or three, and his athlete level might be a two or three. And over time, what you see is like those guys that are fighters that begins to dissipate over time because, you know, they, they get married, they have kids and they're, yeah. they're the reason why they fight is not really the reason why anymore. Then he was talking about like Randy. He's like, now Randy as a competitor <laughs> is a 12. His competitor <laughs> level is a 12. 
but he's not like he's not a fighter meaning like he doesn't want to see you hurt like he doesn't want to kill you you know he doesn't he's not gonna be the guy that's like i'm gonna kill this motherfucker no he just wants to beat you at whatever game or whatever competition it is and then he's gonna be the guy to help you up and shake your hand when it's over you know so he was the ultimate competitor when it came to what we did at extreme couture that's awesome that's awesome so how many um what's it's team what's the name of the team our gym yeah your just fighting a, team is it just a couture, couture team okay yeah, extreme couture yeah and how, how many uh professional fighters do you have on the team right now uh i'd say upwards probably about 60 to 70 wow yeah wow. we got a lot of guys on the team man so for our listeners that don't understand how it all works so like i I'm a professional fighter. I come in and I say, Hey, I want to train with you, Eric. How do, like, what's that process? So there's, there's a little bit of a filtering process. I think for getting guys on pro team, um, almost a checks and balances, if you will, like to come to pro practice, you know, you obviously have to have a pro record or we have to approve you to be able to come in. So we, we have amateurs that are in pro. They're good enough to be in the pro. Um, and it's not like, because you're, you're not good enough. It's mainly because we don't want to see you get hurt. It's like, all right, right, bro, we're, we're, right. You know, we're not going to put you in pro yet. Like, and then you get the guys that are like, you know, they're assholes about it. They're like, well, you know, I've, I'm 200 known street fights or my dad gave me my black belt or whatever. <laughs> you know, you, you, you've heard it all, man. Like think about it. 15 years of me being in this industry, I've seen a lot of delusional people come through the doors and there's guys that are super humble that, you know, they come in the right way. Um, they don't belong in the room and, and that gets weeded out pretty quick. Then there's guys that are super, super cocky, mean, arrogant, and it's like, all right, well, let, let's see how you do with some of our guys then. And then that's when we put the green light on people. We're like, all right, let's whoop this dude's ass. Let's see, let's see if he can if he can handle it. And if we like him, you know, we'll we'll invite him back. But um, for the most part, man, we're 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 like a we're like a firehouse. You know, it's like, do we want to do we want to spend twenty four hours a day with somebody in our firehouse? And if we don't get along with them, you know, they're just really not going to fit. And we've we kicked people out. We told them they're just not a good fit for the team. Um, and we've had guys who've been there for since day one. Hmm. So, so you get a guy, he makes the team. I mean, do you get to pick and choose? Like if I'm, uh, if I'm Brad Tavares, we just talked about him a minute ago, but do, do I hire you? I mean, I don't, I, what's that process? Do I go, Hey, I want you to be in my corner. Do you train for, for, um, you know, a, do you camp for a particular fight that's coming up? How does, so usually it's, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's based on maybe coaching style. It's based on personalities, um, what you might need, what style of fighter you are versus maybe, um, you know, so, so Brad Tavares and Ray have always been together. Ray's six-time world champ, Kenwin kickboxer. Um, he's always took Brad under his wing. And then I've always been Brad's like main training partner. So it's like me getting this shit kicked out of me by Brad and then Ray coaching us at the same time. You know what I mean? So it's like our relationship has really was training partner first. And then now over time, over like 14 fights, like I've taken more of the head role. Um, Ray's always going to be Brad's head coach, but Ray, Ray relies on me more to do like game planning tape. Um, Ray likes it when I corner more now for him, um, makes adjustments in the corner and stuff like that. So, uh, but when it comes to like fighters choosing, we always tell them like, Hey, look, you're the CEO of your own company right? You pay your gym dues, your gym dues are $125 a month. And then you will go and outsource whatever coaches that you feel like that fits you. Um, you know, so if, if you want, uh, if you want to hire me or Eddie or Dennis or Nate or whoever it may be in the gym, 
um, then, then it's pretty much negotiable between you and that coach. And, uh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. 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 So, so very different. Like some, some gyms are, are, are uh, predicated to like, you know, if, if you're training at my gym, I'm your head coach and you're not allowed to train anywhere else, or I have to be in your corner. Um, I think what makes us a little bit different is that we have so many freaking talented coaches at our gym, man. Like, and what happens is, is like coach Eddie, he'll coach five or six guys or, or girls. And those fighters feel as if that they're getting the attention that they need from that, from their, from their group of coaches. And then my, I have my like, you know, 10 to 12, Ray has his group. Dennis has his, his group, coach give Jake, Nate, right. We all have, we're all eating is my point. Like we're all getting what we need. And then the beautiful thing about what we do is like, while I'm in quarantine right now, there's, you know, five fighters that I can't be with. Nate is there picking up the slack or coach Eddie's there picking up the slack right, and vice right. versa. So the one hand washes the other. Um, we take care of one another, like a family and man, like when, you know, when Francis won his title, you know, I broke Dennis off with money because Dennis helped a lot with the wrestling practice. Dennis is, you know, not his coach or in his corner, but I understand like we won that fight because of some of those practices that Dennis ran, you know, so we just try to take care of one another, one another. And I think that starts off with the leadership. Like we got to be taking care of one another. And I think that trickles down to the fighters and they understand like how that, that standard is set. That's pretty cool, man. <laughs> so, so you mentioned you like to watch, like you game plan. Are, are you a guy that, so if we're in a camp and we're going to fight ABC fighter, uh, do you enjoy the, the, like the scouting report type, you know, part of it? Yeah. I, I kind of equate it to the hunt. Like we're hunting, like we're yeah. scouting. We're, yeah. you know, um, obviously coming from a football background, film study has always been something that has been uh, by nature for me and my dad and my dad was a defensive coordinator. Um, so growing up, like I would just sit and for me to spend time with my dad sometimes during football season was, was watching tape or watching film with my old man. So, um, you know, a lot of my time with my dad was sitting around watching a guard pool uh, from, you know, this hash and what, if the guard pulls here, what play and what was the down and distance and me charting, charting plays. Right. So when I got into MMA, um, you know, 15 years ago, like it was never, you know, charting plays or watching tape was never really a thing. Um, and it was, I wouldn't say it was frowned upon, but I, I got made fun of quite a bit. Like I was like, bro, this isn't, this isn't football. You know, and I'm <laughs> like, well, I can start seeing trends. I can start seeing um, repetition. And, you know, every time this guy does this, he does this. And, and we're, we're, we're creatures of habit but these, these human beings, you know, so let's see if we can start figuring some of this stuff out. And then, um, you know, more and more when it started appearing in the fight where a guy would do this and change his stance, I would say what was coming next. Almost like when I was playing like strong safety, I'm like, all right, screen. And you see the quarterback look over like, fuck, it's a screen. We got to call an audible. I already know the play, you know? So right, sometimes, right. It, you know, that happened to us. Um, our, our last fight guy goes southpaw, switches off, does something. I got left head kicks coming. And the guy, like, actually, like, in the middle of the fight, the opponent, like, looks over at me. Really? <laughs> I was, yeah, I swear to God. Oh, uh, I love it. I love <laughs> yeah. it. So, me, so my, my boys know your voice now. So, they're yeah. like, oh, that's Eric. Oh, that's Eric. Oh, that's Eric. Because you can hear it on the on the broadcast. Oh, that's just Eric. Cussing, just cussing. Yeah. Just the, the <laughs> beep, 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 yeah. beep, beep, beep. Yeah. But, so, yeah, my wife said my, last time, too, she's like, man, I never heard you yell so loud before. <laughs> you were so mad. Well, I was like, when man. you guys fight in the, in the, what is it called, the Apex? Yeah, they it's very quiet in there. Yeah, like very on a broad on a broadcast because there's not a lot of people there, so we can hear you talking. Yeah, but, uh, my son plays college basketball right now. This is his senior season, and 
game tape is a super it's it's a uh it's like something that you have to learn like not everybody like his freshman year he he struggled with he was at UNLV his freshman year he struggled with game tape and like really studying it and now it's funny because I can't get him on the phone because he's in with coach Madsen every day watching film on every yeah he's like every game he's he's in there just studying the film studying their guards what do they do when they move this way what is it's it's really a a a lost talent yeah and sometimes it's just reps like I remember watching my first couple fights and not really knowing what to look at you know like what am I looking for you know and I don't know and then you know, you, then, then you just try to narrow it down. Like, okay, every time he jabs, I want to see what he throws after his jab or where he moves, you know? And then you kind of get this like system down to where you understand. So now I watch a fight with no, no volume. I don't want to hear the, the, the commentators. I just want to watch the fight as a whole. Then I'll watch the opponent. And then, you know, sometimes I'll watch just the feet. Then I'll watch what he throws with just the hand. Like, you know, so uh, Stipe versus Francis Ngannou, the, when we won the title, I watched the you know, they fought one time before and Francis lost. I watched that fight. It was a five rounder. It was kind of a bore fest. It was like 25 minutes. I watched that fight every night before bed when we got to fight, this, the fight, the rematch. I watched that oh. fight every night, every wow. night before bed. Yeah, and it, it, ended up getting, uh, it ended up getting publicized pretty big because a lot of people were like, why would you, you know? And I was like, Girl, I don't ever want to feel like I left one stone unturned. And that was the reason why we didn't win. So I'm going to freaking leave no crumbs behind. I'm going to clear the plate and I'm going to do everything I can on my end to make sure that win, lose or draw. I know I did my job. So that's dude, that's so interesting. I, I could sit here and question you for <laughs> hours, but the, so walk, walk our listeners through. So, you know, most of the podcasts you go on are very, you know, UFC slash MMA driven podcasts, you know, for us, maybe some of our listeners are not as familiar with everything in that world. Right. So can you walk, I think it might be interesting to walk somebody through a camp. Like what's the process? Like if, if, if you, you got a fighter that, you know, gets a, a big fight and now you're, you know, four months out, whatever it is. And, you know, kind of walk through that process that you go through with the fighters. Sure. Yeah. So, um, we, we're usually, we're usually about an eight, eight to 10 week camp. That's what we, but that's what you shoot for. Uh, with that being said, I tell, pretty much all of my fighters to that you always want to be within striking distance. You never want to get it too far out of shape or too far past what your weight cut would be. So you're, you, this is a full-time job for you. And granted, yes, there are times to take off and you might have a surgery or these things, but your, your, your job, your role is to maintain your professionalism all throughout the entire year. So if the phone rings and there's an opportunity available, be within striking distance. If you, if you want to take that, that opportunity. Um, so, but granted, we hope that you get an anywhere between eight and 10 week camp. Uh, and then what we'll do is we'll sit down in the office. Um, and we'll go over the schedule. We'll go over the opponent. We'll go over finances. We'll go over pretty much everything. So there's no confusion at the end of the day. And it's hard, man, because in this sport, it, there's, there, there's a lot of handshake deals. Um, there's not a lot of contracts that are being, you know, distributed back and forth amongst coaches. So payment, um, the, what you're getting paid for, what, what they're expecting your expectations for you as a coach, get everything out in the open. Because I think um, the thing that I learned the most uh, out of my own fault was the lack of communication because you didn't want to, um, you know, upset somebody or you don't ruffle feathers. You're just kind of just, you know, go along with the flow and you end up getting hurt in the end. And you're like, man, I should have said something in the beginning. So I think over time I've learned, 
you know, sit down and, and uh, you know, dot all your I's and cross your T's. And that's, that's usually where we start off with, with that is uh, game plan, scheduling, uh, finances, and everything else. And then when you break down the schedule, for me, it's, it's important to understand where you're at during the day. Okay, you have this session with this person. You have this practice with this person, this strength and conditioning, who's doing your diet. Um, and then I, I make sure like if you're doing your strength and conditioning uh, outside source, maybe it's a UFC PI or another gym, that I'm in contact with your strength and conditioning coach. So it's important to understand what you're doing with them and they're not taking over uh, a day. So if I have a hard 3.30 practice, but your strength and conditioning coach is trying to kill you at 10 a.m. and you're, you don't have anything left for 3.30, you will, we're working against each other and not working right, right. Right, to, towards it. Wow. So um, those things become important. And then, you know, I'm big on understanding my fighters. I'm big on on their families. I'm, I'm big on knowing what's going on in, in their home life. I think too, Ben, like in this sport, if I only focus on, on the fighter and I'm missing out on a, probably at least another two thirds of what's going on in this man's life or this woman's life, there's, there's, there's a home life and there, there, there could be work as well. They might have another job. So that those, those lines of communication always need to remain open. And then, um, you know, you systematically set up your practices the way you see fit sparring partners, everything else. Um, and then that's kind of how you run your camps, you know, and you try to get partners that might fit the style of your opponent. Um, you sit and watch a lot of tape of your opponent, but moreover, you sit and watch a lot of tape of yourself. And I try to sit and watch tape of our guys, uh, our last three fights and try to put my, my, myself in the opposing coach's shoes and go, okay, how are we going to beat us? What are we, what, what, what areas are they going to try to expose us in and how do we kind of play <laughs> interesting. that way? Yeah. Yeah. Like know your enemy, know, you know, so you should be looking at your weaknesses. So what's, yep. what do most people, most people you train, what do they struggle with? Like what's, is there a thing in common they always have a hard time with? Um, I think everybody kind of has their own, own weaknesses or ups and downs or things like that. But um, you know, for the most part, I, I feel like the guys and girls that, that I have, we're all pretty like-minded individuals and we really like to, um, we like to focus on the things like that we are weak because we want to fill those holes. And uh, you know, I, I just, I like that mentality, like running towards hard work rather than running from it. So uh, th those tend to be the fighters that I have that I coach. Okay. So I, you know, weaknesses to me, I, I tell guys like, you know, I ask them who their boogeyman is or what their boogeyman is, yeah. you know, and what makes you scared to look under the bed and they'll tell you, they're like, I, this makes me scared. And I'll always say, like, well, what happens when you uh, conquer that boogeyman? You look that fucker in its face. And they're like, well, I'm not afraid of anything. You know, and I was like, exactly. So let's go start looking the boogeyman in the face, right? Right, so right. There's, cool. there's, there's guys that hate wrestling. They don't want to wrestle. They don't want to do this because it gets them tired. You know, and I'm like, that's, that's fine. If you understand that, you know, that you're afraid of it, but you conquer that demon, there's nothing else out there that's going to beat you, man. You know, and, and they buy into that stuff. So I, I, I always tell them, like, then you got to run towards hard work. Don't run from it. So when you, when you run a camp, when you, when you're, when you're running a camp, do you, do you, you're the one that comes up with the training schedule. Do you focus on, so if I, if I'm a, I'm one of your fighters, we're getting ready to go into camp and uh, my opponent is a great striker and maybe I'm a, I'm a good, you know, on the mat kind of guy. Do, do you plan out like, okay, we got to work on getting 
getting me onto the mat with him to, you know, to, to maximize my strengths. And then also, you know, how much do we work on defense from a striking perspective? Cause he may be a better striker than me. I, I mean, do you run all that? Do you come up with that game plan? Yeah, absolutely. So we, we, we generally call it the 80, 20, uh, 80% of what we want to accomplish in the fight, our game plan, what we are going to implement. And then the 20 is the 20% of what their focus, what might be on us. So the reason why we do the 80, 20 is that like mentally, if you focus it the other way around somehow, some way, and it's happened, I've seen it where it's like, we're going to focus on, we're fighting this great jujitsu guy and he's got a great leg lock game and 80% of your camp is predicated on you defending this leg lock. And then somehow, some way you always find yourself there rather than focusing on what you should be doing and how you want to implement rather than just knocking the dude out <laughs> knocking the dude out let's yeah. let's work on our shit and how we're going to fuck this dude up rather than oh we're let's focus on this this and this and this and then the bell rings and all of a sudden you just find yourself there because that's what you train the entire time man. right right so we we call it the 80 20 we, we really <laughs> like to focus on what we want to do and and how we want to implement it um and just like in football too ben it's like uh, i got a good i got a good lockdown corner um, but I might have a weak inside linebacker. How do we cover those holes up? You know, do we yeah. roll a safety over? Do we do this? Do we do that? All right. Well, you know, I'm not the best wrestler in the world. Here's what we're going to do with our striking is try to negate some of these level changes and takedowns that we might see. So how do we use our strong suits to fill the holes that we might have in our game? And then outside of camp, you should be working on those holes diligently. So next fight, you're not like, oh, this is our hole again. And everybody knows that hole. So uh, you can't hit the curveball. So just throw right, the curveball, right. you know. Yeah. Pitching so you the curveball. Be the curve. Pitching that's the curveball. That's why I quit baseball after my uh, freshman year because I, I I was really good at baseball until about ninth grade, and then I <laughs> I went to like a camp, you know, to try out. And these dudes, you know, I had a senior throwing a ball at me, and I I was not my hand eye coordination. I couldn't hit a fastball. Couldn't hit a curveball. I could still play the field, but I couldn't hit the ball. You know, I, yeah. just, I didn't, I didn't have that skill set, you know, to, yeah. to, to swing a bat at a ball that's moving at 80 miles an hour and then curves. I couldn't do it. So yeah, the hardest thing to do in the world, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know how they do it. So yeah. that, that being said, I mean, how many, how many people do you work with that have had a challenge and have overcome it? And I guess what I'm getting at is how good can you make someone if they have no experience? Like, can you take someone from no experience to professional or is a lot of it just built in natural ability to, to be a fighter? I, I think a little bit of both, but I think they have to answer that questions for themselves. Okay. And, um, you know, that, that one, we'll just use Francis as that example. So we did, we sat, we literally sat down and I knew what the answer was. And it's important for me as a coach to get them to say the answer too. So I, I said to him, I said, you know, what, what is holding you back in this fight game? What scares you? What is your boogeyman? And he said, my cardio is my wrestling. I get tired and I, I'm afraid of getting taken down. And here's the baddest man on the planet, in my opinion, one of the best athletes, raw, raw, talented athletes. And I said, look, bro, like if we, if we did this and focused on your holes, and we worked on, on filling those holes and we didn't do one thing when it came to your, your striking, I guarantee you can still knock out a mule. If you hit a mule, if you punch something, you're going to hurt it no matter what. But if we can work on these other things and this skill set, your one, your striking skill set stays here. How much, 
how much better are you going to be able to get within a year? 1% maybe. But if we focus on these weaknesses and that, those weaknesses can jump 40 to 50%. And now all of a sudden it's, it's at the same standards as you're striking. You're going to be pretty freaking good, man. You know, but you have to believe in the process and you have to trust what we're doing. And man, that dude bought in. So when you watched him fight Stipe, everybody said, well, Stipe is just going to go and take him down and win the fight. Same thing as before. And Stipe shot in on him. Francis stuffed it, sprawled out on him, beat his shit out of him, and then shot his own takedown on him. And everybody's like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where did that come from? Where did that come from? Well, it came from a place where he took his biggest weakness, he took his biggest fears, and he made the boogeyman his bitch. And I think once we understand that and we make it accountable and we focus on it, there's nothing that we can't do. It's just we have to get it out of our own way sometimes. Hmm. That's, so that's interesting. So it sounds like, I mean, I didn't even think about it, but mentally it's getting out of your own head for the most part. We're, we're already saying it. We're already yeah. telling ourselves like, dude, I'm deathly afraid of great white sharks. Like I don't want to get in the water. I don't want to, you know, like there's things that you should be afraid of. Right. Yeah. There's things yeah. that, that, that do scare you. That's fine. That's okay. I understand that. But when it comes to things that, that you could actually become better at and, and you're just, you're just not wanting to do it. And I told him, I said, you got good at, at being a good striker. It just took time. Right. But if you can just focus your energy on this over here, your, your wrestling is going to get, is going to catch up to your striking pretty darn quick. And now I can't get the guy not to take people down in the gym. That's all he wants to do is shoot in on people and take them down, beat them up. <laughs> you created you know, a monster. <laughs> you created a monster. And, that, and that's what we, that's what we generally, that's what we wanted. That's very cool. So who's, who surprised you the most over your career? Like any, anyone stands out that. Um, I mean, I think I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised with, with so many of the guys and the girls in the room. Um, but I would definitely say uh, my man, Dan Ige, just, you know, where we've come from, um, on the regional scene together, uh, he moved from Hawaii. He's like Brad, Brad Tavares brought him out from Hawaii. Just, a, just kind of a young, raw, talented kid, but didn't have like, he's just tough, tough Hawaiian. His dad's a Navy SEAL, master chief in the Navy SEALs, 30 year uh, vet. So, you know, I knew the kid had something, it was just raw talent, right. but it, it took a long, not a long time. It just was like, looking back, it feels like a long time, but we always knew that he had the potential there. And I think when you have someone with that type of mindset and that type of drive, um, you know, the sky's the limit for him. He, he's not a guy that's going to wow you he, he, when he walks in the room and, or, or he's sparring in the, on the floor back then you're like, yeah, he's okay. Like he's decent. But when that bell rang and you put him in a fight and the lights come on and the cameras come on, holy shit, you got yourself something. And, you know, he, he beats 90% of the guys in the UFC. He's, you know, he's number eight in the world right now as a featherweight. Um, and, you know, we weren't even sure if we'd ever make it to the UFC. But, you know, we just kept this blind faith of getting better and working hard. And, uh, you know, so I wouldn't say he surprised me because I think I felt like he's always had it. But he's okay. definitely, I think, to me, the, the guy that was the most raw that we've seen make it the best. Very cool. Very cool. I want to ask you the hard question. What, how do you handle the loss? You know, cause somebody wins, somebody loses, right? You, 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 you've been in the, you've been in the corner when somebody's lost. Yeah. I, how do you 
how do you approach that with the fighter and how do you handle it? Cause it's a loss to you as well. You know? Yeah. Um, how, how do you handle that and how do you bounce back? So I give myself two days, um, two days to cry about it, two days to, to celebrate it. Uh, but you know, I feel like come Monday, you have to be refocused on no matter what it is. So this sport is the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, but if I can stay somewhere in the middle, um, I'm good. I'm good. Come Monday. Some of those fights, man, they'll still hang with me. Um, and I know it's cliche to say like, I hate losing dude. I really do. It, it hurts. It, you it, can't it, be a coach in the UFC. I don't think and hate and like, <laughs> Oh, you know what? It's cool, man. We lost one. We'll get them next yeah. time. Yeah. I've had losses where, um, they, they, they've, they didn't hurt as bad because I knew how good our fighter did or like how, how great the fight was or what they showed in the fight. Um, I've had those losses where like, I know we won and the fucking judges just get you. Really? Really? Oh yeah. Oh, tons bro. And there's, and there's nothing you can do about it. Is that a and popularity then, thing or is that just a, you, there's, there, it, it, you just never know, Ben, but I feel like, I feel like it's an incompetence thing, right? <laughs> like I really do, man. I, I, I'm a big advocate and I, I, Every time you know, I'm at the fights every weekend and I try to be, I try to be the, you know, uh, approachable and, and nice to all athletic commission, everybody that I'm around, yeah. but, you know, things happen. Um, mistakes get made. People make wrong calls. Um, and I'll lose my shit. I'll lose my shit. And, you know, granted the account, the accountability falls on me and, and, and I try to find my ways of making our fighter better. But I also challenge them too, because I tell them that like, I'm able to get reps daily. I'm able to do reps in the gym and I'm able to, to corner rounds in the gym. I'm able to train my own rounds in the gym. I get quality reps every week. Your reps as a judge and as an official are only when it matters and you guys aren't getting reps any other time. They're so not doing it, practice, practice refereeing. Hmm. When are they, when are they getting their reps in? I said, yeah. any major sport, anybody that's doing anything else, when are they getting their reps in? And I've, I've opened my doors publicly to judges and officials and refs and, and wow. athletic commissions to say, you guys can come to any one of my practices Monday through Thursday and watch practice. And I will step away and sit there and talk with you and help you understand what you're looking at, and what you're seeing. And in that time, I've had like two referees come in and one judge in, in, in the eight years I've been running the gym. Wow. So where are you getting your reps? bro? Can you, can you say what referees? I was going to ask you who your favorite ref is because the ref in the UFCs, most of the big fight refs are kind of personality guys. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't say like I, there's not ones I don't like. You know, I think there's a lot of good quality refs that you can point out and say like this guy does well with this and. I can go down the list of all of them and give you some good qualities from them. Um, but like, you know, ones I, I really do like, I enjoy Jason Herzog. I think he's very fair. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I think, uh, you know, I think um, uh, Keith Peterson is, is marvelous, man. Like you don't have to, you don't say shit and it's great. Like he's just, he's on it. Um, you know, I think Mark Smith done a really good job as of late. I think Chris Tyone, I mean, there's a, there's a Herb Dean, you can name a you know, ton of these guys. I love Beltran. I was about to, 
Yeah, yeah. I was about to ask you know? I'm a big Mayans fan, and he he got shot last season on Mayans. They oh, shot him. He? Yeah, he died. <laughs> he was <laughs> damn it, Beltran. Yeah, he got <laughs> shot. He got shot in the head. He got betrayed by his own motorcycle club. So yeah. I, I think there's a lot of really good quality quality refs, and and uh, you know, like to Mark Smith's credit, um, he's been one of the guys that have made it a point to come into the gym and get reps. You know, so. Um, whether they make a, a bad decision or not, I or or a bad call in the cage, I, I take a little bit of um, reserve, knowing that like, well, at least they're doing what they can in the in the in the off season, if we will, or or in between. So like, if if you're a cop or you're special forces, or you're 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 probably shooting at the range a couple times a week, oh. you know, get getting your reps in. Hundred percent. So why not when you're when you're really in charge of, especially when it comes to judges. You are you hold the, these men and women's futures in your hands by making the wrong decision or the right decision. That's that's a great point. I've never even thought about like uh, I mean, how many times have I tried to get thrown out of a basketball game for slitting a ref's throat? You know, but and it's it's only they're they're only doing it. They're human, right? But they're only doing it when it matters, like you said. And then for your profession, that's an interesting thought. Like good for you for saying, Hey, look, I, I yell at you all day long, but here's a solution. Why don't you come meet with us and I'll open it up to you. I mean, take a look at it. Let's talk about it. Why did you make this decision? You know, after the fact, not in the heat of the moment, like, yeah, like, yeah. A, like a, like a consent or, or, or just, a, just a, a review board, like, Hey, and, and, and look, I I've, I've personally had guys that I've been friends with for a long time, or judge my fights and it go the wrong way and then me lose my shit but find you know i'm I'm not going to name names but we've discussed these things and one told me hey man i i look back at the fight i watched the fight and i think i made the wrong call you good know and i'm like good for I'm him like, man that you know it, it doesn't it doesn't change the outcome of the fight but you know i'm glad and then and then here's the other side of that coin where i've i've gone I want to know what you were looking at and why you made this decision. I trust your judgment, but I didn't see it in this particular instance. And they explained themselves. And then I go, damn. All right. I didn't see it that way, but I can, I understand where you're coming from there. Okay. And my biggest thing, Ben is how do I get better as a coach? So this doesn't happen to the next guy or girl down the line. Where did I fail my fighter as a coach first and foremost? Right? So you know, we had a guy lose a bad split decision up in uh, Connecticut a couple of weeks back or a couple of months back. And I felt like he won the fight, but there's, I know in my head as a coach, there was areas he could have really, really exploited and, and done a better job. And that would have never been a split decision had we done those things right. So where's the accountability fall? Falls on me. So I was like, okay, I, yeah, I felt like we got robbed, but I also felt like we could have not allowed it to be a robbery either. Right, right. You could have. You could have done more to make no question who won the fight. Man, let's 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 make it no question at all, and not even bring the judges involved, or if they are, that there's no doubt why you're going to win this fight. Yeah, that's a good point. That's very uh, extreme ownership. I like that. That's very cool. Yeah, I mean, dude, I think that's biggest thing to me now, Brian, is is where we suffer as a society, man. You know, we're a finger pointing. You know, and I, I look at this from at the at the smallest sector to the biggest sector at times where it involves life or death and it involves some of the most minis, minuscule things i'll give you an example 
I run a gym, 24,000 square foot facility with 700 members. And how many times do our toilets get clogged with somebody leaving a shit or not cleaning up <laughs> after themselves or doing all this stuff? And I think to myself, well, this is kind of what society tells us this day and age that you, you, you as a person aren't even responsible enough to clean up after yourself. Yeah. You clean up your own shit, right? Like, oh, somebody else will do it. I'm just going to leave it there. Or I'm not going to clean up after myself because somebody else will do it. And I feel like that's what we're suffering as a society is we have that somebody else will do it mentality. Yeah. And I said that better. <laughs> yeah, totally. I think, well, I, I hope that's one of the reasons why jujitsu and MMA is becoming so popular because I think people... I think a lot of people crave that accountability. They crave that, that challenge, you know, and at least if you're, if you're fighting or you're playing a sport, if you're a professional athlete, like you have that, you have that accountability to your team, to your coaches, to, you know, to everybody around you. So I, it's, I'm really, I'm glad you said that, but it's, I love it when people uh, invest in themselves, you know, whether they play a sport or they start training, whatever it is, I, I think it really helps. So hopefully more people will get on board. You know, I well, agree. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> We're, we're running short on time. I know you got to get back to it, but can you tell us two things? One, will you give our listeners a piece of advice, uh, you know, that are trying to make a change in their life? Just if you had one piece of advice for anybody, right? Starting a business, making a change. And then two, and you can do it in any order. Can you, is there a funny story you can tell us a behind the scenes <laughs> uh, UFC flop or something that you can tell our listeners that we would never hear anywhere else without getting anybody in trouble? Oh, let me think. What's some funny ones? Well, you're a big Brad Tavares fan, so let's let's think of a Brad Tavares story. All so, right, yeah. um, we're fighting uh, uh, Cleveland, Ohio, and he's fighting Kyle Kyle Magalesh in uh, Cleveland, Ohio. So we uh, we're staying at the Wyndham, I believe it was, and it was just old ass. Like it probably was built when Cleveland was found. Like it was old ass hotel. Uh-huh. So. Um, there's a bunch of us and weigh-ins are over, but there's four elevators and only two elevators were working that whole entire fight week. So we get back um, from the weigh-in venue and it's just flooded with fighters and coaches. And then there's just fans everywhere. So we're trying to get through the group uh, and get on these elevators and get back up, get it back up to our room. So the elevators on the lobby floor are both full and, and I look at Maki Patolo, who's one of my fighters that trains with us now, Coconut Bombs, Maki. So I go, hey, let's run up to this. Like there's a, the, the big like grand staircase. So right, let's right. run up the staircase and catch the elevator coming up to the second floor. There's going to be nobody up there. So we do that. Elevator doors open up and it's packed. All <laughs> like packed. There, there's no room for us to get on this elevator, nor should there have been that many people on the elevator to begin with. <laughs> So um, it's like Fabricio Verdum and Uriah Faber, like the whole fight card, essentially Brad, Ray, um, Yancey Moretos, and then all of us get on the elevator. So me and Maki like squeeze on this elevator and Fabricio Verdum kind of jokes around and like front kicks Maki to get him off the elevator. But like all like loving, joking, like we're all, you know, dicking around. Right, right. But I look and as he does it, the elevator doors are still open, but the elevator starts to go up. Oh, so no. Maki's like hanging like half out of the elevator. And I pull Maki back in the elevator and concrete starts to come like a oh guillotine. My God. Oh. And like, like just starts to go like this. 
and we're all like, holy, like every one of us. And then, then everybody in the, in the elevator, like pulls us like closer to the back. Cause we're like, cause the doors stayed open. Oh, wow. So then all of a sudden you feel us like go up to the third floor. And then all of a sudden you just do it drops. The elevator falls. No way. So we go from the third floor and drop all the way down to the basement. Fall, free fall. Boom. Hit the bottom of the freaking elevator shaft. <laughs> so I had like springs or something. Cause we hit that thing hard, man. Hard. Oh. Boom. And like half bounce up. And all of a sudden, like, so you saw like the concrete as we we're going up. And then all of a sudden the concrete was going like, like right. super fast coming. We were dead. Like it just chopped right in half, you know? So we hit, we hit the bottom of the floor. And then all of a sudden, as we hit the ground, the elevator doors closed. So now we're like <laughs> legit stuck in this freaking elevator. Oh my god. And there's gosh. like there's like 14 or 15 of us on this elevator. Oh Half big, of them all big fighters. Big yeah. And and at first we're like giggling, like, holy shit, we broke the elevator. And then like the panic set in. Like, holy shit, we're stuck in an elevator in Cleveland and <laughs> it's hot as hell, and we can't get off this elevator. And so uh, Ali and then Dan Ige, Dan Ige is working for Ali at the time. They happened to be waiting for the next elevator, but they saw the elevator drop because the door didn't, wasn't closed. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, my gosh. So they're freaking out. They're calling the fire department. And then so I got video footage of this, too. And I'm right. So I'm still stuck in the front door, like basically pushed to the door. I go, I open the door up. And then there's like a gap and it's like another metal door. We we're able to pry that door open. Now we're like trying to, now we're freaking out because we don't know if we should try to climb through to another right, place in the right. basement. Because do we climb through? But if this thing starts to move again, we're dead. Like this thing's going to chop us in half. Oh my gosh. Yeah, bro. Freaking out. So yeah. So finally the, the firefighters came, they made sure the elevators were shut off. They pried the doors open. They did all this shit. We had to climb. So we were like, you know, it was so low. The elevator like dropped down so low. Like it was like, like a spring or something broke. So we had to like climb up and then go through this like hole to get out of this elevator. And lo and behold, man, like Stevie Dalloway was on that elevator and um, he got pulled from the fight because he hurt his back so bad. Uh, oh, a lot wow. of us were like, we didn't, we were, I think mean, the adrenaline was pumping so much for all of us. We didn't realize Brad ended up being hurt. Like he's like, he didn't tell us until after the fight. He's like, I didn't want to say anything to you guys. Dude, my back is killing me. I was like, bro, me too. My back is jacked I up, bet. man. Two stories yeah, straight we, down. Three stories. So it had been like 30 feet or something, whatever it was, from the elevator. We just dropped. And oh, fucking, gosh. Yeah. That's I bring crazy. that up because that anniversary was last week, and I just remember <laughs> oh. seeing that picture. So I was like, <laughs> we took a picture outside the elevator, and we, we called it a live day. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. When does Brad yeah. fight next? Does he know? Uh, did, yeah, December uh, December fourth, he's fighting Brandon Allen. Brandon Allen, he uh, he actually Brandon just beat uh, our guy Puna Haley Soriano. Great fight, he went to a decision, uh, but he you know he beat Puna, and then uh, so this is now you know Brad's going to now fight him. So it's going to be a little bit of redemption for Puna, but uh, super talented fighter and, and Brandon, and you know we know what Brad's capable of. So I think it's a great matchup, man. It's going to be a fun one. Yeah, he's uh he's one of my favorite guys now. You know, everybody likes the big names. You know, our family's big McGregor fans, but I, I'm starting to really get into the nuance of the regular guys. You know, that fight every you know not every week, but every week, right? Yeah, you know, that, yeah. That grind out and and put in the time. You know, yeah. Not Brad that, just I think I, tied the middleweight record for uh, most wins in the UFC. So I think I think he's one away or one behind Bisbing or just tied Bisbing. 
So he surpassed a lot of legends in, in the UFC and middleweight yeah. wins. Yeah, I like Brad. Very cool. All right, so give, give our listeners that piece of advice. You know, I think uh, for me, man, when it comes to your goals or there's things that you're trying to accomplish, uh, don't get overwhelmed. Don't, don't look at it as like one big problem or one big thing or one thing you want to conquer. Um, you know, I, I always look at it like this. Like if, if, you're, if you're trying to clean out your garage, for example, and you look at the garage and it, the whole garage is a mess, right? And when you see the garage, you're like, that is overwhelming. I don't even know where to begin. Where do I start? And you go, I'm going to start over here in this corner. And I'm just going to really focus on this corner. And now that corner gets fixed or cleaned up or cleaned out or done what needs to be done. Then you're able to move on to the next piece and then the next piece and the next piece. So that to me is the biggest thing where I remember hearing Marcus Luttrell talk about how did you get from where you were shot 11 times, you had all the broken bones in your body, you were bleeding out. How did you get 11 miles to, to safety to a village? And he said, I just drew a line in front of me. And I knew I can crawl to that line in front of me. And then he would draw another line. Okay, I can crawl to that line in front of me. He wasn't looking at tunnel vision 11 miles ahead at the village. He was focusing on the line in front of him. And he just kept crawling and just kept crawling. And next thing you know, man, he makes it the 11 miles and he's at the village to safety. So sometimes I feel like we get so overwhelmed by our goals or things that we want to accomplish because they're so far away. But just draw a line, man, and crawl to that line. And next thing you know, one day at a time turns into one week, turns into a month, turns into a year. And then all of a sudden, those goals that you thought were so far ahead of you or, or you're accomplishing. It's awesome. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. It's awesome. Well, hey, last thing before we let you go, if you could let everybody know where they can find you. I know you have a podcast of your own. So please uh, let our listeners know where they can find you. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, best way to get after me is uh, on Instagram, Eric underscore XC MMA. And then uh, you can follow our podcast as well. It's me and uh, Elliot Marshall, great friend of mine, awesome coach over at uh, out in Denver. Um, his, and it's called seconds out podcast. So myself and Elliot are, are the hosts of the, of the podcast. And, you know, it's just more of, more of kind of the inside of what, what goes on within MMA and the coaching ranks, um, kind of behind the scenes. So I think people enjoy it a lot because there's things that, you know, aren't really public publicly known, uh, that happens in, in our sport. And we like to tr uh, try to shed, shed some light on some of that stuff. Uh, very cool. Well, Hey, I don't want to keep you. I know you're, uh, you got your fight coming up. So good, best of luck to you. I know you're going to kick ass. Good luck this weekend. All right, brother. Thank you guys. I appreciate you for having me on. Yeah. Thank you so much. It was awesome. We'll talk Anytime, to you. Good luck. Guys. All right. Thank All right. you.